You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's over, but for the Hidden Yardage podcast, it's just beginning as we dissect the 2023 NFL draft and what it means for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm Mark Lane, joined by Sean Martin. As always, Sean, good to talk to you. Hey, great to be here, Mark. Great uh, weekend in the NFL draft. It is an annual weekend that just brings a lot of emotions to me. You know, it reminds me how much I love doing what we get to do here and scouting these players and <laughs> spending, you know, a bunch of time behind my keyboard and picks come flying on day three and getting it all covered. Um, just to steal a bit of your thunder off the top here, I know you say it at some point every show, and you probably still will closer to the back half, but, you know, we thank RJ Ochoa for the opportunity every week. Well, that's usually your line, and again, you can still say it, but let me just say it myself this time, too, so he knows, you know, how much it means, to, and I told him this already, but how much it means to, uh, to get to do this, because, like I said, you know, when we covered the regular season, I feel like we were the show that was ahead of a lot of topics and really helped fans, you know, get to what they were going to be talking about on Sunday afternoon to Monday morning. And I think that rang pretty true for our pre-draft stuff as well. So really great to be part of all the BTB coverage that went off very smoothly. And uh, we'll recap it all here. Yes, you are listening to the early edition of what happens in Cowboys news right here on the Hidden Yardage podcast. Follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me at the real Mark Lane. And, uh, Sean, something that I think we could get out ahead of uh, in this early edition theme is my, what a defensive draft the Cowboys had. And they took a defensive tackle for the first time in the first round since 1991. Um, Do you think that the balance of power is shifting at the star and Dan Quinn is starting to get more of the ear of the Joneses and Will McClay and some of the stakeholders. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, there is no way around that. There's no way to deny this at this point. I mean, you said it best 1991, the last time the Cowboys took a DT in the first round. That was of course the great Russell Maryland. We're hoping Mozzie Smith can follow in a similar footsteps and have the type of career that, Maryland did here in Dallas, but absolutely for Dan Quinn. I mean, it's just been evident since he came here that this team wants to lean in more to being defensive-minded. You know, this draft did reiterate the fact that we saw last year the theme on the offensive side of the ball was with what Dak Prescott's getting paid, can he elevate what's around him and how much can we expect him to elevate compared to does he actually have enough talent to where we're being fair to him? And I think at times it was a little bit of both, of course, but it leaned closer more times than not, to there's quite, not quite enough talent. You know, there was a missing piece for a lot of the times that this team fell short because of their shortcomings on offense. So 
he still Prescott through all of that still did prove that he can elevate though. You know, he kept him in a lot of games that they wouldn't have been in without him, to say the least. So no going into this draft, knowing that you answered that biggest possible question about Prescott, that yes, he can, you know, make the guys around him better and make every other move you made this offseason on that side of the ball mean that much more. Of course I'm talking about, you know, getting Brandon Cooks, um, elevating, you know, Jake Ferguson and Peyton Henderson to bigger roles at tight end and then adding soon maker in the second round, all these little things that, you know, Prescott can help keep this offense, not put them over the top by any stretch, but, you know, keep them respectable enough to, I don't know. You tell me what the number is for this defense where you feel comfortable. I mean, is 28 going to be enough to win you a lot of games this year? I sort of think so when it comes to the way that Mozzie Smith can help you soar up this run defense. I know your big thing going into this draft was helping Parsons be that jack-of-all-trades player again. Certainly the Smith pick helps that. I mean, just go ahead and pick so Smith plugging up the A-gap while Parsons rushes from the linebacker position, having DeMarcus Horowitz and Dorrance Armstrong coming in all different directions as well. It's my biggest theme going into the draft was if you feel like you're pretty set at a position group, go get one more. I absolutely love to talk about that. And it's something I really believe in. It's something that you see ring true year in and year out. And certainly defensive end slash defensive tackle. This is a position the Cowboys felt pretty good about going in, but you go get that one more guy. It's at a position that they haven't prioritized in such a long time. So it feels like only good things can happen when it comes to adding Smith to this defensive line and, all the good things that Quinn has done, he's earned you know the respect and the ear of this front office, and he proved it in such a huge way throughout this entire three-day weekend. Yeah, by comparison, um, Mike McCarthy's. We you got to go back to Green Bay a little bit, but not just oh year one. Really, when Dom Capers got there in two thousand and nine as defensive coordinator, because he was a respected coach, but also. A defensive guru. Anyway, uh, so the first three drafts with Dom Capers, Green Bay went uh, 13 defense and 12 offense for the first three drafts in terms of how it split with the Cowboys, with Quinn. But, I mean, it goes back into even when Mike Nolan was defensive coordinator, it's in the 30s in terms of the players that the Cowboys have drafted on defense. And I just think it's a weird way how the Cowboys have approached the offense. I mean, the team building in the offseason here is instead of saying, well, the offense needs to get better, I mean, only scored 12 points against the 49ers in the divisional playoffs. So the solution to that is, well, then we need to make sure the Niners, who scored 19 points, score 11, I guess, and load up on defense. Yeah, that is a tough way of looking at it. You know, I can't say I didn't have that same thought in terms of, you know, like I said, 28 could be a good realistic magic number to put out there for when you feel good about, at least in a regular season game, this defense you know, keeping you in the game and having your offense do enough to get you those wins. And of course, trying to uproot the Eagles as defending NFC's champions, keep a very long streak alive of this division, not having a repeat winner, certainly having a work cut out due to Cowboys and the Giants, commanders, everybody, just based on what the Eagles did in the draft, becoming basically the Georgia defense Northeast. But yeah, on offense for the Cowboys, you know, like I said, I can't say that I haven't had the same thought when you look at that 49ers game and 
your biggest takeaway is, well, we only scored these 19 points. It's like, that's a tough pill to swallow. And now we have an offensive minded head coach who it'd be a stretch to say he's in the, you know, a true lame duck position, but certainly I don't think we've heard the last of the fact that he was, you know, on the war room cam, making a pretty spirited case ahead of their first round pick, which ended up being defensive tackle Smith for, you know, we can only assume an offensive player. So, you know, he's trying to make his case for getting this offense better. He knows his future now more than ever is tied to the offense because he's the play caller and he knows that the season still ended on a 19 point output where the defense played their heart out, but just couldn't do enough because the offense only had those 19 and that's such a very hard way to win a playoff game. So, you know, we're still a couple of weeks and months away from being able to build any optimism for the offense. We need to hear about, you know, how these receivers are doing in camp and how the offense aligned. Certainly a lot of musical chairs going on there, how that settles in. And we'll talk more about that later, but yeah, the offense, you know, has a lot to prove to say the absolute least, but the defense trying to build around it at the end of the day, this team just wants to win. They want to get the trophy back in Jerry's hands here. They want to win under McCarthy, tighten up the, you know, this window that they have, under Dak Prescott, and when you have as much as must existing talent as they do on defense, just adding to it and trying to win now is, seems to be the right approach. So hard to not be excited about what they did defensively, but we're going to be asking a lot of really important and serious questions about this offense all the way through training camp, the preseason, and into the season once again, no doubt. Yeah, and just to clarify, because I wanted to get this right, Dallas had 30 draft picks you know, through this weekend in the Mike McCarthy era, 19 of those have been uh, on defense. And, but it's worth mentioning that, oh, well, you know, that's Dan Quinn. Yeah, some of it is. But in the 2020 draft, where you had of seven picks, four of those were also on the defense. But I think that... You know, when you look at Mozzie Smith and DeMarvian Overshawn, the way his name's spelled, I, I just want to say Overshone. But um, with exactly Overshone, um, you know, they added players who you kind of answer the Jonathan Hankins question at defensive tackle. You've got you know, some some depth and talent there now with Mozzie Smith. And then with Overshawn, uh, you kind of help. Uh, like, like I've always talked about, Michael Parsons be able to play more of a utility role with that defense. And that, and I think that may be where they're trying to go is to shut down the run, and then they must believe that turnovers aren't necessarily because of good fortune, but turnovers are a result of fortune favoring the bold. And that's why they're leaning into it. Yeah, being able to lead the league two years in a row and takeaways, that's just, I know for one article a while back I had the last time that happened, and it was let's just say it was forever ago. You know, it was when the triangles were still in the league. So, the fact that they were able to do that was no sort matter, and it just adds to the very legitimate list of reasons why Quinn has, you know, to say that he proved that he has this draft weekend. 
you know, just to go back on one of the points I made on my coffee day and not to like TMZ this when it comes to, you know, saying that he was animated in the war room and we can only piece it together thinking that he was making a case for offense at the same time as Quinn was making his case for Smith. And of course, Parsons was on that live show for Bleacher Report and I wrote about this for BTB too. And his reaction to them drafting Smith was to show the other host he was working with a text thread that he had with Dan Quinn the morning of the first round. And Parsons specifically said, you know, Michigan DT, that's where my vote is pretty much. And Quinn said, quote, I'm all about that life and, you know, hope we can pull it off basically. And then they did. But I'm sure you remember the McCarthy quote from probably the last year, you know, going a bit back now, where he was asked, you know, early in your career, would it bother you to have a defensive coordinator who's already been a head coach and went to a Super Bowl and has, you know, some of the same accolades you have and could basically supplant you, you know, at any point? And he said, yeah, early in my career, it might. But at this, at this stage, no, you know, me and Quinn have a great relationship and it doesn't bother me and I'll do all the extra media availability and all the, you know, all the flyer that comes with being head coach of the Cowboys, like Quinn just coaches a badass defense and gets the job done. So, yeah, you know, if we want to believe every word of that, then yeah, McCarthy has no problem with the way that this draft went and his relationship with Quinn is still good. And he just knows that he has to be a good play caller, elevate this offense past where Kellen Moore took it, which statistically was very good. But, you know, I test wise, certainly room for improvement. I need to, find a way to get more big plays and be more consistent in the passing game. And I think they will. So, you know, the idea that this draft was in any way a negative, just because I lean towards Quinn, when you have a head coach who's offensive minded, your play caller and Mike McCarthy doesn't really fit just based on the way McCarthy has previously talked about Quinn. And he used to be happy that they added even more uh, talent on that side of the ball. Oh, I don't think it'd be negative. Even if the draft shifted towards Quinn, because Quinn is delivered with what he's been given. I mean, you can't really say maybe the wild card game against the 49ers in 2021, but last year, I don't think that you could really blame Quinn for a lot of what went on. And, and I mean, they really held their own with Cooper Rush at quarterback in that Sunday night or in October up in Philadelphia. I think the defense was the overperforming unit for Dallas last year. What would you say your overall absolute largest concern is on the offense right now? Is it all the suffering on the offensive line? Is it, you know, the fact that they maybe reached just a little bit for Schumacher and that doesn't give you the same type of outlook at tight end as it would if you were able to get a, you know, Kincaid or a Michael Mayer who almost impossibly slipped to later in the second round. So, you know, what's your big concern with this offense to not be able to hold up their end of the bargain in support of a Quinn defense that we've said, you know, every possible good thing about already. First and second down efficiency. Right, just in a run game and, you know, not having that. Right. Not having that no cow type approach. And and uh, the decision-making situational football that goes into first and second down um, production as well. So it's kind of play-calling run game, receivers that you've stocked throughout your team building periods. You know, it's really just kind of a, a, a conglomerate of those issues. 
that I have a problem with. So it's not really, oh, defensive tackle or something that you can easily shore up. It's frankly a cohesion right. thing and something that they're going to have to uh, get right in training camp, as every team will have to, because that's what training camp is for. Yeah, I do think the McCarthy offense will you know, help Prescott find those types of easy completions that it seemed like always came in the early season games under Kellen Moore, and then you get scouted and fail to make some of the adjustments that you needed late in the year. But, you know, Kellen Moore's first couple months of the season offense, if the Chargers can get that, you know, all the time, then Justin Herbert's going to be, you know, right up there doing with Patrick Mahomes for years to come, which is what, of course, they still hope is the case in that AFC West. So, you know, early in the year, we always see Prescott. He has every answer that he needs. If it's, if he's under pressure, there's a check down. If he's protected, they can get the ball downfield. And then later in the year, he's just forcing everything. And by the time the playoffs come around, we, we have, you know, offensive tackles out in the pass pattern. So I do think McCarthy's offense will help solve that. But, on, you know, you don't want to be too pass happy to the point of, you know, like you said, early down efficiency. I'm with you on that. You don't want to have to always be dropping back on those early downs and having incompletions and falling behind the chains that way. So if Pollard can be that answer to get you those yards on early downs, running the ball the same way Zeke Elliott was, then you know that's a big question to, to be answered. And it won't fall just on Pollard, of course. We could talk a bit about you know draft bringing in uh, Deuce Vaughn, which is probably one of the best uh, moments of the entire draft weekend for any team. Yeah, it certainly was, and we'll get to that later on. But what's one position group that changed your mind? And, you know, maybe you were a little bit wrong about now that you see how the Cowboys have drafted and gone through the weekend. Well, mine is actually running back to stick with, you know, this theme we've been on here. Mine's going to be running back. As far as the names they passed on, you know, I think this Cowboys draft is getting not the best grades because they, you know, we've all seen them. We've seen this movie before, to put it that way. We've seen them fall into this trap of they're really good one year. And last year, you know, I would say falls roughly in that category. And then they draft as if they were really good and they don't, you know, feel like they still have to make that splash. They don't get that one more guy like I harp on all the time. They don't push in the same way. They fall back on the heels and say, oh, we're good enough to take, you know, kind of a luxury position, defensive tackle. First round might fall in that category. We're good enough to, you know, do the luxury type things because we proved it. And then they take a step back and then they make the big splash moves and it's year in, year out. That lack of consistency makes it hard to get as far as they want to go in the playoffs. So, you know, I think it's running back, though, as far as guys they passed on. So you could say they didn't make the splash, but, I mean, you tell me, looking through their entire seven rounds, who they really passed on that you would have taken. You know, the run on wide receivers and tight ends made the Smith pick even more valuable in the first round. You could say, you know, maybe they should have made the jump to trade up a couple picks and it wouldn't have cost you that much, but they still got even more talent in these later rounds. And even though UDFA class is getting good grades, so... Not necessarily easier to just give up picks when you have the scouting staff, but yeah, it's running back because you know the guys you passed on. It's really only two. There was Eric Gray in the fifth round. He went after you drafted Seam Richards, who I actually like his tape and his upside, and I think they're gonna kick him inside to guard. We know they have a great track record, including last year with Tyler Smith of taking collegiate tackles and putting him inside a guard. Of course, that doesn't solve the fact that you can't just keep moving everybody to guard, <laughs> including your tackles Terrence Steele and Josh Ball when you. No, beyond any doubt, you need tackles. You need an answer behind Tyron Smith and anyway, all of that when it comes to tackle. And in the sixth round, you passed on Zach Evans. He was still available out of Ole Miss. 
when you took Deuce Vaughn. So those are really the only running backs that you know went after Cowboys picks where you can go back and compare a couple of years later and see if you should have had one of them. But they really put a vote of confidence in on not only Pollard, of course, that's been an ongoing thing, but Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle. We know they like these guys, but I think this draft proved just how much they like those guys. And I was a bit surprised by, you know, quite the level that they're going to be trusting both Malik Davis and Rico Dowdle to step up in this run game. For me, it was receiver because I thought that they needed to add something in day one. Day two, the early part of day three. But instead, they waited till their last pick with uh, Jalen Brooks. But just looking at it, you know, they can get by with CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, and uh, you've still got... um, you know, Jalen Tolbert, who could develop. So I guess when you look at it, in, and that's where I was kind of looking at it too, was in terms of kind of a 2024 more so than this season, they still are in pretty good shape um, because Brandon Cooks is still going to be under contract with you. So you'll still have a one-two with... um Lamb and Cooks, presumably. Then maybe Tolbert develops and takes over for Gallup if he's becoming too much of a salary cap burden. So, you know, I I, I would have liked to have seen them address receiver, uh, maybe go grab Jalen Hyatt. But, um, you know, I, it worked out. I wanted Hyatt bad. Yeah, I was talking to Giants fans all throughout the draft, and I'm like, oh, you just stole one from us. Yeah, I think that was a good pick. Um, So, you know, that's where I would have gone, but in that they didn't address it. Looking back, I, okay, the, I know Jalen Brooks, but in looking back on it, just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And, yeah, they're really not that bad at receivers, so. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. And it's really the only move that doesn't fall in line with the rest of, you know, the thinking that they've proved that they're on this offseason as far as, you know, doing things differently and being the team to go make aggressive trades, you know, Cooks being one that directly addresses the position group you're talking about there at receiver. But, you know, everything else has been forward thinking and open to, you know, being that aggressive win now team and you move on from Kellen and all this suffering and you go first round DT. But then a position group that really for three years now we've been saying, eh, do you quite have enough? Are you going to be okay here? Are we going to be talking about being concerned about not having enough? You know, they still are going to be facing that question. So, like you said, they feel like they've answered that with Cooks being a really big piece of this offense. But, yeah, we're going to be facing the exact same questions in training camp as far as does Prescott quite have enough to throw to? You know, of course, the boost uh, in the backfield when it comes to the receiving threat that Pollard can be and Vaughn can be, Davis and Dowdle even, those could be checked out and options to help you ease, not having quite enough on the outside. But yeah, I think we'd all like to think after this draft that Prescott would have even more answers out there, out wide for big name receiver. And, you know, the way the board fell, it just didn't work out in that way. So. Yeah. And um, again, I, I think that 
the way that the receiver room also sets up uh, is, you know, kind of uh, kind of for uh, just that rebuild, if you want to do that, if the Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott era just completely crashes down. But I, I don't, you know, I don't think that it's going to get that dire. But, you know, you can see that kind of, that's almost like one way that the Cowboys are being built is to have that escape hatch because of the way that Dan Quinn get, has got to make capital investments on defense for the future. Yeah, it's something we've covered as far as, you know, just how much they're really trying to go for it. while also hedging their bet on, you know, needing a clean house and get a new staff in here. And, of course, it's looking more and more about a minute that, you know, that new staff would include just having Dan Quinn slide into being your head coach and building around him, which, of course, you have the pieces on the field defensively to do that more and more now with, you know, Parsons still on his rookie contract and then he brought in this whole class. So that would be the answer on on defense. But, you know, to go from, let's say, the Tony Romo era where Jerry Jones famously said, you know, his biggest regret of his whole career to that point was not getting him a Super Bowl to already potentially being facing that same question under Dak Prescott, it's going to be, you know, something that we talk about when it comes to just not doing enough on offense. Quinn isn't the type of coach to ever, you know, call out the offense, especially since he knows McCarthy is the one engineering it this year and McCarthy is the, the reason he's on the staff and all that. So he's not going to be the one to call that out. But, you know, it does drive a, drive attention through teams sometimes, especially when you know what the quarterback is getting paid when a defense feels that they're performing well and the offense isn't holding up their end of the bargain. It came to a boiling point, most notably in Denver this year with Russell Wilson's contract and the way that defense just couldn't get any help from his offense and led to them having to fire Nathaniel Hackett and all that. So could we see a similar outcome with McCarthy and Prescott? Again, you said I don't think so. I'll echo that just because I think you know, we all know the level of play that Prescott brings and it's going to be good enough to win quite a lot of games once again. But yeah, man, it would have, it would have been nice to uh, to do more wide receiver in this draft. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Who do you think got put on notice in this draft? I have four for you. I'll go in order of you know, of a kind of the round that the rookie who was drafted puts a guy on notice. So first round, Mozzie Smith. Of course, the easy answer there was Quentin Bohanna. No knock on you know Bohanna's skill set, the way he's developed as a third round pick, but just hard to see you know too many other guys getting snaps at that nose tackle one tech if Smith is all he saves out to be. First round picks more than any other round, you know, first to second is not even a comparison. First round picks get on the field. You know, they they get the free pass to to go walk in and play a lot of football for you. So it's still a rotation. It's still Quinn playing a lot of wacky different fronts and doing things differently. So you're gonna see some different things and Bohanna will be part of the mix. But yeah, I think Smith Puts him on notice just a bit, just in, as far as the numbers crunch and how many snaps are going to be available for him. Second, I have Simi Fahoko because of the fact that he drafted Jake Sumaker. Uh, and, you know, that can sound a little bit weird. Sumaker's a tight end. Fahoko, of course, a receiver. But I think with this mix of tight ends all having such similar skill sets now, it's really going to benefit McCarvey's offense to play a lot of 12 personnel. I think one of Sumaker's best traits is his ability to seal the edge in the run game, so that's valuable. So I think you're going to see a ton of two tight end stuff, and that means you're going to have one less receiver on the field. That's hot receiver position. 
is the first one to get taken off, and that can be where Fajoko carves out a role, especially he's a good blocker as well, so do you want that blocking to come from a tight end or Fajoko who didn't build on what was a really strong training camp last year? We'll see if he can follow it up and actually make something of it, but I think he's on notice. Third being Jabril Cox because of the DeMarvian Overshow pick. Really not all that inspired by Overshow's tape, to be honest with you, but I'll trust Quinn to just take another athlete who has played some safety in his career, played some linebacker, and we know that it's been kind of a hybrid position for him ever since he came here. Guys like Donovan Wilson, Tehran Coast, are any safeties or the linebackers? We don't know. You just put them in the middle of the field, they're athletes, and they get the job done and help force turnovers. Overshow is exactly that type of player. That's a long way to go to you know, find a, a true role in the NFL and develop, but he's with the right coach to do that. And Jabril Cox is that type of player, but he hasn't been exactly in favor to have that role um, as of last season. And then the last I have, Matt Oletsko because of drafting Asim Richards. You know, like I said, they could move Richards inside and just add to the, they seem to really want to build up their depth at guard, but they need to figure out some things to tackle. Oletsko is going to have that crack to be the swing tackle, but hasn't proven anything yet because of really taking a basically a medical redshirt year last year. So if Richards does stay a tackle, he's direct competition. And I do like his tape and his upside, even for being a day three pick. So he could be your, one of your answers, a swing tackle, if he doesn't kick to the um, left guard position. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that the Seam Richards pick put Josh Ball on notice because – He's somebody that they're kicking inside to play guard. And so I think that he's going to be put on notice with a seam. Well, I agree. Yeah, that's a smart that's a smart fan. Well, I mean, it's, it's either one of them, but I'm just so we don't agree. Uh, because I think that if we agreed that, that, you know, we'd have to fill out a bunch of paperwork and everything. But I was trying to talk myself into Ball being a decent guard, you know. We saw some action from him this year. He's not like Oletsko, who we have no tape and nothing to evaluate, really. And, you know, I think Ball's skill set could be actually kind of decent at guard, you know. And that's kind of they've, – they've been okay with just okay at guard for a bit now. You know, they if they ever find a way to get Tyler Smith full-time at that at that position, I think they'll be really good. But, you know, they've been okay with the Connor McGovern's and Connor Williams in the world. So I think Ball could fall nicely in line with that, and then he would be likely ahead of Richards, even though I do like his upside. Like I said, you know, it's hard to say that he wouldn't be ahead having already been in the league and the strength program and all that. But, yeah, it is a good thought that, you know, if he beats him out of guard and then Ball can't be a swing tackle either, that he would be really the one that's on notice. And, um, again, I'm going to go project – into the future. I think that the Overshawn selection gives them options immediately with Jabril Cox, but also with Leighton Vander Esch going forward just in terms of what they can do with their linebacking core. So um, I'll go Neville Gallimore as to who's put on notice with the Mozzie Smith pick because Bohanna is what he is. I mean, he's a sixth-round pick from 21. But Gallimore is a third-round pick, and it just seems like it hasn't really taken off for him. And then, you know, you got to pick somebody. So I'm going to go with Nashawn Wright in terms of who got put on notice with the Eric Scott pick. I know a fifth-round cornerback I'm 
putting someone on notice. But uh, just in terms of if Scott does really well in camp, Wright is struggling again, that's, uh, that's where I see some of the tension point. Yes, yeah, so I was scheduled to cover the Cowboys' second uh, six-round pick, you know, the one they made after trading up for Eric Scott to start the round. So they made the Richards pick, and I was writing that one up, and then I look up, and I see we're about to be on the clock again. I'm like, oh, they just traded their later six-round pick, so I'll cover this one as if I was supposed to cover the later one just go from one to the other. So I covered that one. And then, I, and then I'm looking ahead. I'm like, oh, they didn't trade that pick. They traded a future five. So I, I have one more to cover and, you know, cranked all that out. But like I said, really uh, great to be a part of all the BTB coverage. It's a weekend that inspires me to, you know, get back into this after some of the doldrums of the all season. But a fun fact about Eric Scott, he has the third longest wingspan of any corner in this draft behind only Joey Porter Jr., a big name, of course. And he went 33 overall. And then Julius Brents, who went 44th overall. So you're not saying he's he's he has the tape of those players, and he should have been drafted anywhere near where they where they went, and that's why he was the first pick in the sixth round. But certainly you traded something for him. He's in favor with these coaches. The wingspan thing is just the first reason why Quinn probably likes him. And there's also some buzz that this could have been a uh, John Fossil pick as well. We know that. Probably more than any other special teams coordinator in the league, he gets his say when it comes to certain things, and you know he needs some some new blood in the pipeline for special teams aces, and you know think of your CJ Goodwins, and maybe uh, Scott can be that type of player as well. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I goofed up. I said he was a fifth round and he was sixth round first pick of the sixth round in Eric Scott. But, you know, you saw after the selection, people were like, oh, I can't believe Dallas traded a future fifth for Scott. And, you know, why would they take a cornerback? And who is this guy and all this stuff? Since 2016, the Cowboys have nailed at least three 
Uh, late round defensive backs, sixth, seventh round for clarification. Uh, in Xavier Woods, Donovan Wilson, and Anthony Brown. So, whoever's got a pounded on the table for Eric Scott really had the credibility to do it again, and the Cowboys listened to him. Well, in the most immediate recent example, too, would be last year's draft getting Deron Bland on day three, and another tip of the hat to Eric Scott as far as you know what he's coming in and going to be able to bring his light-round pick that has a real chance, though. He is the exact same height and weight listed on you know his college roster compared to the DallasCowboys.com roster for Bland. Eric Scott is the exact same build as Deron Bland. So has the build, has a little bit of the similar turnover production, both his interceptions in his last college season went for pick sixes, so you'll love that in this turnover-happy scheme, and he has the wingspan to go with it. So certainly just yet another Quinn pick, and if he has the upside to play on Fossil special teams, and yeah, this is the guy that we're going to be talking about making the roster, it seems. I did think it was funny, though, that Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network said that when teams are trading up to take picks like this, it usually means that they're running out of guys they're familiar with. It could be the case. I think he was, um, I forget who, who it was that was one of the last remaining 30 visits. I think it was Richards. And then he looked at the rest of who was on that list. And it was all other offensive linemen. We didn't necessarily expect him to double dip, but offensive line in the later rounds because they already have you know some depth in the building that they want to work through. So, yeah, that, that kind of strikes a match on all you guys you're familiar with. It's like, we're familiar, but we don't need it. So now who are these guys at the positions of the need that we can you know get to know real quick and spend a priority pick on before you get in the UDFA where it's a feeding frenzy. But they still did well in the in the UDFA by all reports. So still working my way for some of those guys, but they seem to always find a few, and we'll see who comes from this year's class. Yeah, let's go ahead and get to the undrafted free agents and uh, just go strolling down the, uh, the, the PetSmart adoption aisle of UDFAs and pick out a couple of pet cats. Who's your one pet cat on offense and defense among the undrafted free agents? Well, I am going to adopt the North Dakota State Bison. I mean, how do you not love getting a fullback from North Dakota State? Come on, Hono Upke. He was actually projected as a fifth-round pick by NFL.com's Lion so that's a priority pick. Had 98 carries, 6.3 yards per carry last year. Scored nine touchdowns on the ground, four more through the air. I mean, it's just a jack-of-all-trades fullback. We know McCarthy had some fun with some big-time fullbacks in Green Bay that got the crowd at Lambeau Field jumping and Lambeau leaping. So there's always been hope for the fullback in this offense. When they went, you know, Jason Garrett, it was a foregone close, and they were going to keep one every single year. That hasn't necessarily been the case under McCarthy, but now it seems like they want one because they brought in Hunter Upke. And when you're looking at UDFAs that you want to make the team, you know, you want to look at positions where they're not going to have much competition. You know, it's going to be hard for any other guy who's at a position where he's stacked up against guys under second contract and pro bowlers and even other draft picks. But fullback, like I said, not much competition. So we all hope that Hunter Upke can uh, step in here and, be a name that makes it with the Cowboys. And our defense, Tyrus Wheat, outside linebacker, Mississippi State. Out of the UDFAs in Dane Brugler's draft guide, he was the highest rated guy, 129th overall. And you get him without even having to spend a pick in the top 200. So how about that? Watched a little bit of his tape. Sets the edge pretty well, which is the focus for him in this draft with the Villiani pick, defensive end, and 
every, every other move they've made this all season. Sets the edge well, has some juice as a pass rusher, can be a little bit slippery getting between blocks. So he's yet another linebacker that has some upside and can give you some position flex and try to make this team and be yet another part of Dan Quinn's defense. So give me Hunter Upke, fullback, North Dakota State, Tyrus Wheat, linebacker, Mississippi State. All right, I'm going to go on offense with Princeton Fant from Tennessee. I mean, there's three things to like. So it's Tennessee, like Jason Witten, uh, Princeton, like where Jason Garrett went to school, and then Noah Fant, because uh, that's his cousin. So there, like I said, there's three things there that's awesome. for yeah. yeah. Uh, and he caught 22 passes for 241 yards and three touchdowns last year with Hendon Hooker throwing the ball in that uh, offense that really brought the balls back. Uh, so I'm going to go with Princeton Fant on offense and and then on defense. You know, uh, let's see what uh, Louisiana Tech. Miles Brooks can do because he was a, he's a cornerback, undrafted. Man, is he going to have to make it on special teams? But if he gets his chance, I mean, he had eight pass breakups and nine interceptions over his career with the uh, with Louisiana Tech. So who knows? I mean, he could be the next Deron Bland. Don't quote me on that. And the thing with Fant, they have to love, and this I haven't really dived in, you know, too close to his tapes. This is a little bit of something that I don't really particularly like, which is like helmet scouting, if you will, you know, scouting just a team or an offense or a scheme without really saying what the player can do. But the thing about Fant is, you know, he can get open because if anybody that watched any Tennessee football, I mean, they really had a need to throw into tight windows. Hendon Hooker just had receivers popping wide open all the time. They, he had receivers running open, you know, to put up 51 points against Nick Saban's Alabama defense. I mean, they were not forced to throw the ball into tight coverage often at all. It was wide open. So if Fant was putting up that production, you know that he was one of those guys getting open and not just, you know, a check down to, you know, if a linebacker draped all over you type of throw. So, yeah, anyone that can get open in a Dak Prescott offense, he's shown that he'll facilitate the ball. So for those reasons and everything else he listed, he could definitely have a chance here. Yes, and uh, we'll have to see what happens when rookie minicamp kicks off. Uh, just what happens with our pet cats and, uh, you know, how much loving they get throughout the course of off-season workouts. All right, let's go ahead Fullback. and get to Cowboys' birthdays for this week uh, on Wednesday. A name I'm sure Sean Martin thought he'd never hear for the rest of his life, B.W. Webb. <laughs> Got that and right. he turns uh, 33 years old. Oh, unbelievable. He played with Dallas as a cornerback in 2013. I don't know why that makes it feel old, but it does. Yeah, <laughs> 33. I can't even believe he's that old. I don't even know how old he was when he got drafted, so I have no context of why that makes me feel old. But, you know, he's from Newport, Newport News, Virginia, and my uh, college was in the New Jersey Athletic Conference for football, and there weren't enough teams, you know, just in New Jersey to make the conference, of course. So it was spread out into Virginia, actually, so we had uh, Christopher Newport University. I, I broadcasted, not on their campus, but when they came to us in New Jersey, I broadcasted a couple games from uh, against Christopher Newport, which is probably not a school many people know about, so that's why I'm giving him a little shout-out here in relation to B.W. Webb. Yeah, that tells you about B.W. Webb's impact with the Cowboys is Sean's just talking about his college broadcasting days. 
as a result. <laughs> well, uh, let's see him do that with Jason Winton, though, who turns 42 years old. I mean, 41 years old on Saturday. Everyone knows who Jason Winton is. Oh, of course, just you know, an icon and a fan, a fan favorite player, and you know, to say the Cowboys haven't been able to find the type of consistency that they had of him at tight end since he left is certainly true, and you know, they're hoping to piece it together this year and. You know, the sum of all their parts maybe can be something that Jason Witten had, but they would have to prove a whole lot of longevity to be the Walter Payton Man of the Year type player that Jason Witten was. Indeed. Uh, Charles Tapper, he was the third-round pick for the Cowboys in 2016. He was part – I'm sorry, he was the fourth-round pick. Um, Prescott was the uh, compensatory later in the round – but um, he turns, uh, he turns. Hang on a second. Twenty nine years old on Sunday, and he played defensive end just two games. Logged for his career, first two games of twenty seventeen. At least he got a sack out of it, sacking Eli Manning. But that was an edge rusher that just never manifested in. They had high hopes for him. Yeah, college tape was good. Really just caught a bad injury, you know, history. Back injuries scare me. It's why Dalton can the idea of drafting Dalton Kincaid really scared me and plenty of other Cowboys fans too. But yeah, you know, when, when you start hearing about back injuries, it just you know it's gonna unfortunately really start cutting careers short and you're talking about a lot of missed time and that's exactly what happened with Tapper. So it was definitely unfortunate. But yeah, like I said, college tape out of Oklahoma was good and definitely had a chance to outplay his draft position if, if it all worked out medically for him. And then also on Sunday, uh, one of the rookies, Jalen Brooks, uh, he turns 22, I mean, sorry, 23 years old on Sunday. So, yeah, there he goes. He, he doesn't even have his jersey number picked out yet, but we're celebrating his birthday. Yeah, that, what an awesome way to be able to celebrate getting ready to come down to the store and have Dallas Cowboys rookie minicamp. So I like seeing these new names pop in there. The Cowboys are cornering the market on wide receivers with the first name Jalen. So Jalen Tolbert, Jalen Brooks, uh, welcome to the team out of South Carolina. And those are your Cowboys birthdays. Well, Sean, we better go ahead and wrap it up because RJ Ochoa, our managing editor, he said that it's okay if I go over a minute. It's not okay if you go over a minute. Well, let me do this in 10 seconds then. Tonight, Game 7, NHL. You're like, what? This is a hockey show now? No, but NHL tonight. New Jersey Devils, New York Rangers, great Northeast rival. It's New York, it's Jersey, it's everything great about rivalries. Game 7, winner goes on. Doesn't get better than that. It's in New Jersey too. Devils, Rangers. Let's go Devils, baby. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, hockey's one of those sports I just can't understand but I like watching it. I just love the playoffs, man. It's so intense. Yeah, the playoffs are great. So. Yeah, yeah. My uh, the uh, focus group is gonna tear. You know, they're gonna go over that with me about hockey after the show. So, but uh, you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Follow Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me at the Real Mark Lane. Uh, so there it is.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.